Who can ascend the hill of the Lord? Who can stand on his holy place? Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be always acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Good morning. It is All Saints Sunday today, the day we celebrate all the saints down throughout the church's history. There are feast days throughout the year on our church calendar commemorating this or that particular saint, and we have prayers on particular days to honor certain ones. But today we celebrate all the saints and the very idea of a saint. It is the Sunday of saints. We have a book at our house that we've been reading to the kids uh, off and on for quite a while now. It's called Stories of the Saints, beautifully illustrated, and kind of bedtime reading length stories of, I don't know, close to 100 saints are in there. And we've loved it because it gives us so many different pictures of faithful Christians in many different times and places and circumstances. They're pictures of holy lives devoted to Christ. These saints are beautiful examples of Jesus' command in the gospel. Whoever would come after me must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. These saints made enormous sacrifices and suffered greatly and spent their lives in humble service to the poor. They often have visions. They do miracles. They start missions and holy orders that are still uh, existing to this day. And I want my kids to have those godly examples, uh, these pictures of what holiness looks like, and to be inspired by these saints' faith, hope, and love. But it does raise the question, something we've had to talk about a little bit as we've read along, what is a saint? What makes someone a saint? Are saints just the people who tried a little harder a little more disciplined. Maybe you could be a saint too if you would just get your act together. (laughs) Maybe get out of bed a little earlier and say the prayers more faithfully. Uh, Maybe try a little harder to stay in the moment every day so you don't uh, lose your patience with your family or with say something hurtful to a friend. Maybe if you just did your spiritual push-ups a little more faithfully, you too could be a saint one day. (laughs) Or maybe if you did something really radical, like so many of the saints in our book did, like St. Francis of Assisi, who gave up his life of wealth and privilege and devoted himself to a life of poverty. Maybe if you did something extravagant like that, you could qualify for sainthood. Or maybe saints are the people God shows a little extra grace to. (laughs) Maybe God chooses certain people, gives them a little extra portion of his spirit, so they can see visions and do miracles, kind of show the rest of us the way. So if you're not a saint, well, maybe God just didn't choose you to be a saint. It's okay. You're just a a regular Christian. Uh, I'm being a little bit facetious, if you couldn't tell. But these are very natural questions. They're questions we do ask. I ask them when I read about the saints. Is being a saint just a matter of trying a little harder? doing good works, 
Does God choose just some Christians for a little extra holiness? Are there Christians who just kind of level up above the rest of us, either through their own piety or through God's sovereign choice for whatever reason? Well, that question brings us to our psalm for this morning. Psalm 24. I want to start in the middle of the psalm, verses 3 through 6. Who can ascend the hill of the Lord? Who can stand in his holy place? Those who have clean hands and a pure heart, who have not pledged themselves to a falsehood, nor sworn by what is a fraud. If these verses are a little extra familiar, it's because they pop up several times in the Old Testament. They're kind of refrain. Psalm 15, just a few psalms back in the Psalter, uses this same pattern. It begins, Lord, who may dwell in your tabernacle? Who can abide upon your holy hill? And then it gives a list of qualifications. Whoever leads a blameless life, does what is right, speaks truth from the heart, who does their neighbor no wrong. And it goes on until it ends with, whoever does these things will never be overthrown. And there's a variation on this same pattern in Isaiah 33. So this refrain was presumably a regular part of Israel's worship. Maybe Psalm 15 was the original source. Maybe not, I don't know. But in any case, it does get recycled and reapplied in these different places. But all three places, it asks the same question. Who can enter God's presence? Who can enter God's dwelling and live with him? That place, the dwelling of God, was first the tabernacle, and then later the temple, with the holy place and the holy of holies, the physical location of God's presence with his people. The temple was up on Zion's hill in Jerusalem, so we get this picture of going up God's holy hill, ascending. And how does this refrain answer that question, who can answer God's presence and live with him? Well, it's the one who fulfills God's law. The specific details listed vary slightly from Psalm 15 to Psalm 24, Isaiah 33. But what we have in all three places really is a a summary of the law of Moses. How did Jesus summarize the law? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And both of those aspects are here. Single-hearted devotion to God and love for your neighbor. This is the person who is not given to any idol nor sworn by what is a fraud. That is, this person is wholly devoted to the true God. No part of them is given to any false God. Also, this is the person who does their neighbor no wrong, who takes no bribe against the innocent, who rejects gain from extortion, That is, this is the person whose concern is for the welfare of others, who deals with others with honesty and fairness, and refuses to take advantage of anyone, even when they have an opportunity to. This is the person who has fulfilled the law of Moses. This is the person who can go up onto God's holy hill, enter God's presence, and not just enter it, but live there. These are also, by the way, characteristics of the great saints in our saint book. 
They are the ones who are single-hearted in their love of God, who have reoriented their entire lives out of devotion to him. They have loved the Lord their God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. They're also the ones who have spent their lives in service of others. Reading through our book of saints, it's impossible to miss this theme. What do all the saints have in common? They care for the poor. They give up their own comforts and privileges, and they serve those in need around them. They love their neighbors as themselves. So the one who can ascend God's holy hill, stand in God's holy place, is the one who fulfills the law perfectly, who loves God and their neighbor from a pure heart. Well, it's an unsatisfying answer. (laughs) It's describing a perfectly pure and holy person, blameless, it says. None of us can claim to be blameless even since we got up this morning, much less all our lives. None of us have clean hands or pure hearts. Remember in the Old Testament times, you couldn't just waltz into the Holy of Holies. Only the high priest went in once a year on the Day of Atonement. After he had performed all the necessary purifications, made sure he was dressed properly, as Moses' law prescribed, only then he could go in and he would burn incense and sprinkle the blood of the sacrifice to atone for his own sins and the sins of the nation. But it turns out that this psalm is doing more than just restating the law for us, the requirements to be in God's holy presence. Let's keep going. Verses 7 through 9. Lift up your heads, O gates. Lift them high, O everlasting doors. And the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Now we get a fuller picture of this person the psalmist has been describing. And it's not some random faithful Israelite who has somehow managed to keep the law perfectly. It is the king of glory. And it's not just a human king either. This is the Lord himself, Yahweh. This is the personal name of God that's used. And that person is Jesus Christ the king of glory. He is the one who has fulfilled the law and now enters the holy place. The language is high and lofty. We have to imagine great fanfare and majesty. The old interpreters said this was the angels' voices that we're hearing in this last part of the psalm. They're the ones who are saying, who is this king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, mighty in battle. This is the great king Israel was waiting for, the Messiah. This is Christ himself, the ideal Israelite, having perfectly fulfilled the law, now entering into God's holy place to dwell there. Notice, by the way, it's not already clear what that means. Jesus, the promised king, is Yahweh. When it says, the Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle, that is Yahweh. So this is not just a victorious human king, some lesser demigod, This is Yahweh himself. This is an Old Testament confession that Jesus is God. Now is when we start to get back to the saints. 
This is an ascension psalm. It's a psalm about a glorified Christ, having fulfilled the law, going up into the dwelling of God, entering the very gates of heaven to receive God's blessing and reward, and to be given dominion over the whole earth, back in verses 1 and 2, over the whole earth and everything in it. That actually happens in the Bible. After Jesus had been raised from the dead, he was taken up to heaven, where he now sits at the right hand of God the Father. And because Christ has ascended into heaven, he has made a way for us to ascend into heaven too. After all, we are united with him. Because we are in Christ, we share in everything he is and does. Because he has been raised from death to life, so are we. Because he has fulfilled the law perfectly, we can fulfill the law perfectly too. And because he has entered into the holy place of God, so can we, without fear and without shame. We can approach the God's throne of grace with confidence and receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Because this psalm is true of Jesus, it's true of us too. Thanks be to God. So here in the Psalms, we find the gospel. Who can ascend the hill of the Lord and stand in his holy place? We can. Because Christ has gone before us, not because we are blameless in ourselves, or because we have clean hands or pure hearts, but because Christ is holy. We are holy too. That's what it means to be a saint. The New Testament knows of no hierarchy of saints. The Apostle Paul addresses his letters in the New Testament to all the saints, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, to all those in, uh, said that, (laughs) to the saints in Ephesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. If Paul was writing a letter to us here, he would say to all the saints at Church of the Redeemer, that's you. That's me. But I hope you don't hear that and think, well, I guess being a saint isn't that special, really. If I'm a saint, then saints must not be that holy. (laughs) No. It's the other way around. It's that in Christ, all of us are that holy, as holy as he is. And we're called to live in accordance with that uh, incredible reality. We are called to be saints. When we read our saint book, we're inspired by the holiness of these saints, and we should be. These great saints, both in our saint book and also the saints that all of us can name from our own lives, they did grow in holiness, and they are godly examples to each of us. God sanctifies each of us by his grace, and we are called to stay close to the places where his grace is found. Where is God's grace found? It's no mystery. In his word, in the sacraments, in the daily life of prayer, in the community of faith, in giving to the poor. Do you want to grow in holiness? Stay close to these sources of God's grace, and you will.
One of my favorite novels is Godric by Frederick Buechner. It's based on the life of a real medieval saint, Godric, who lived in the 11th and 12th centuries in England. And we don't know much about him, except for a biography that's come down, written by a monk who apparently knew Godric and wrote the story of his life. And the monk's biography is all very gleaming and sparkling, all cleaned up. An inspirational story of this great saint and his great deeds. It's a hagiography in every sense. (laughs) But uh, Buechner takes this story and retells it in Godric's own voice. Godric is old, a hermit in the northeast of England, living alone beside a river in which he bathes every day. And the monk from the abbey nearby comes to talk to him and hear his life story so that he can write this hagiography. But Godric is not cooperating. He's disgusted by what this monk is trying to do, and he kind of tries to sabotage it. He tells him the real story of his life, and it's not so pretty. Godric tells about his younger years when he traveled in a ship as a merchant, and he lived wild and hard, and he committed every sin in the book. He was greedy, violent, a lecherous man. And even after he was converted, he was still a proud and stubborn man, crass, a quick temper, and without giving anything away in the story, he commits another grievous sin even after he's been living as a hermit, a holy man, for many years. The book is provoking us with the wide gulf between the hagiography of Godric that the monk is writing and the true story of Godric's life. It's poking us with that same question we started with. What is a saint? Is Godric a saint? If he is, what makes him one? I want to end just by reading a short passage from the book. This is after he's been a hermit for a long time, a holy man living alone in the woods, a picture of what we think of as an old saint. Here's what he says. One summer day, I lay upon the grass, I'd sinned, no matter how. And in sin's wake, there came a kind of drowsy peace, so deep, I hadn't even will enough to loathe myself. I had no mind to pray. I scarcely had a mind at all, just eyes to see the green wood overhead, just flesh to feel the sun. A light breeze blew over where, that's the river he lives by, A light breeze blew over where that tossed the trees. And as I lay there watching them, they formed a face of shadows and of leaves. It was a man's green leafy face. He gazed at me from high above. And as the branches nodded in the air, he opened up his mouth to speak. No sound came from his lips, but by their shape I knew it was my name. His was the holiest face I ever saw. My very name turned holy on his tongue. If he had bade me rise and follow him to the end of time, I would have gone. If he had bade me die for him, I would have died. When I deserved it least, God gave me most. I think it was the Savior's face itself I saw. 
When we deserved it least, God gave us most. That's what it means to be a saint. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.